0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that. Opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. When three high schoolers are gunned down in their car, police launch an investigation into why their lives came to such a violent end. Ten years later, that investigation reaches a dramatic conclusion... In an Albuquerque courtroom hi I'm Vinny Politan and on this week's court TV podcast we're taking you in for a closer look at this case with an audio edition of our original series someone they knew with Tamron Hall this week's episode is titled teenage terror and the East Mountain murders this is the court TV podcast
1: Kevin, Matt, and Louise were typical teenage boys, good kids.
2: 911, what's your emergency? I think with their gunshots outside. They're all dead, all three of them.
3: Okay. These young men didn't have criminal backgrounds.
2: There was literally almost no information as to who decided to kill these boys. No one understood how these three boys could have possibly been targeted for such a heinous crime.
4: Kevin Shirley, Luis Garcia, and Matthew Hunt, good kids, good students, looking forward to college. They leave for a party to celebrate the end of the school year, say goodbye to their parents, and never see them again. Why their bullet-ridden bodies were found on a remote road in the east mountains of Albuquerque, New Mexico seemed unimaginable. But there were secrets to be revealed in those mountains. Secrets that would take years to discover.
2: Kevin Shirley, Luis Garcia, and Matthew Hunt were three high school buddies. They all um, played on a soccer team. Matthew, though, had been in a car accident that had caused him to be paralyzed, but that did not mean the friendship was over, so he was still a part of the group.
1: School had ended on Thursday. They had a party to go to, and so they were getting ready to go, and we just, you know, Wayne and I said, Wayne's my husband, you know, why don't you guys just stay here? To stay home. Got to get up early. And he went, oh, Mom, you know, it's the end of school. Everybody's going to be there. You know, we got to go. And so I said, you know, you need to be home at midnight, to which he said, 12-ish. And I said, no, midnight. And he said, it'll be 12-ish. So that was the last words. And they hopped in the car. And Kevin's car was big enough to put the wheelchair in. The party was up in the East Mountains in the Sandia Park
5: area. A lot of different kind of people like living in that area. They don't like the big city. It's rural and it attracts all sorts of people.
2: Their mothers were not concerned because the boys had gone up there many times and never had a problem. It wasn't a a huge party. It was just a get-together of friends, a lot of soccer player friends who uh, were relishing the fact that Summer was here. Kevin did
1: not show up at 12-ish as he thought he would, and I just paged him over and over and over again, which he absolutely hated. But he didn't answer, and he didn't come home. And I thought, after a while, you know, I. I'll just go to sleep. I'm sure they're just staying the night.
6: 911, what's your emergency? I think with their gunshots outside. Okay, how many did you hear? I, I think about six, maybe eight. Okay, are they real oh, close? Yeah. Okay, are they close to your house? Yeah, right on the corner.
7: The crime scene was a remote part of the East Mountains of Albuquerque on a darkened road. Single vehicle that had been shot up many, many times by high powered rifle.
3: A neighbor right at the intersection had snuck out of the house after taking cover during the shots and noticed that the three young men had been shot uh, many times uh, while seated in the car.
2: The first person on the scene realizes what he's seeing and he relays that message to his wife, who's telling the 911 operator what is being said. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're all dead, all three of them. OK, OK, we've They're got 10 minutes. all dead, all in the chest. They're all three of them dead.
7: OK. There were three decedents in the vehicle, being Kevin Shirley,
3: Matthew Hunt, and Luis Garcia. So following the 911 call, the original responding officers uh, arrived at the intersection to notice Kevin's little Dotson in the middle of the intersection a number of empty shell casings, spent shell casings, pervasive damage to the windshield of the car. And it was fairly obvious at the time, although checks were made, that all three of the young men were in the car deceased and shot many times. We began then processing the scene. The casings were collected. We had to secure the car well to perform trajectory studies on the car to see just how this might have happened. What we began to see was a pattern from the passenger side to the driver's side in what we might could call to be a cone. So movement laterally by the shooter, continuing to shoot from the shooter's left to right in front of the car. This offender fired in a cone fashion into that windshield only he or she knew that. And so that's not something that's probably smart from a strategy point of view to put out there. A neighbor reported seeing a dark colored SUV driving away from the scene. The problem for us is that he never saw the real people leaving without their lights on.
1: About nine o'clock, we had a few minutes before we went to church. And then when we answered the door, of course, it was all the detectives. They were there to to deliver a very sorrowful message. And, um, of course, by then we were just, we were hysterical.
2: It was a scary time because no one understood how these three boys could have possibly been targeted for such a heinous
7: crime. By all accounts these were normal kids
3: normal high school kids we had lots of leads coming in from pardon my language absurdity to potential
2: but it's not until 2006 that we finally get the break in the case
4: in the summer of 1999 albuquerque new mexico seemed caught in the grip of terror Who would kill three innocent teenagers like Kevin Shirley, Luis Garcia, and Matthew Hunt in the sleepy East Mountains, and why? There were very few clues and even fewer explanations.
5: People wanted to know what happened, and they wanted an explanation, a reason to believe it couldn't happen to their children or couldn't happen to them.
7: The investigators talked to family, friends, acquaintances, people from school, and by all accounts, these were normal uh, kids, normal high school kids.
1: I don't think Kevin
7: would have had enemies that
1: I would have known about or I would have known that through him.
7: Eventually, the investigators were able to determine that there was a house party, a, a gathering. Uh, not too far away from where the homicides happened.
2: The report from people at the party did not indicate that there was much of anything. No altercations, no, you know, oh, well, so-and-so got into a fight or this person yelled at that person. No one seemed to remember anything unusual.
7: I don't know, we not know, we got this house, like, quite a bit, like, everyone, just the whole crew. Mm-hmm. And... But that night, it wasn't like a real big party. It
8: was just kind of a little quiet thing. We can't help but think that something must have gone on in that party. Something. I know, that's what I keep thinking. You you know? That's what I keep thinking too, but I've,
9: I've asked everybody that was out there constantly. Like, was there anybody up there you didn't know? Was there anybody up there that wasn't there usually? And, you know, everybody at Toxic, can name, everybody was there by name.
7: Early on in the investigation, there was a dark SUV being indicated as maybe being in the area or being heard or seen a street away from the neighborhood. And so that was a a vehicle that was being sought, was a kind of a generic but
3: dark colored SUV. We had lots of leads coming in, lots of people calling in and those leads in any celebrated case range from, pardon my language, absurdity to potential. Every one of those leads, even the leads that sound absurd, have to be followed.
2: They're getting all kinds of stories, none that really seem to go anywhere. Oh, you should check this kid. Or I I think that kid drives that kind of dark SUV. There was literally almost no information as to who did the shooting, who decided to kill these boys. So the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Department really, in my estimation, went all out to keep this case in the public view. There was a reward that was offered, that the money of which seemed to grow every week. There were billboards put up.
3: It was a Crime Stoppers tip that had suggested that a Jocelyn Snyder had remarked in a bar that she had been present there at the party. So I met her at her apartment. Uh, she was visibly upset. She denied ever saying anything and expressed frustration that someone was just trying to cause her problems in her life. I put all of that together into a report, gave it to the case agent, and then went about answering other leads. The case goes on for years.
2: I remember doing a one-year anniversary of the death then a (laughs) two-year, and then a three-year, and then at at some point it's like, we don't have anything more to say.
1: It was a cold case. They never wanted to admit that.
3: There's nothing in the world that I could do to connect with or bring back Kevin, Matt, or Luis. But what I had for victims was the people who loved them. And not being able to bring resolution for those folks was difficult.
1: Greg came in, he took control of the cold case and became my friend.
3: We took our task force back into the neighborhood and we found a man who said, I heard firecrackers going off that night. He said, I was upset because it was pretty dry in the mountains and you shouldn't be popping firecrackers. He said, then I heard an engine revving really high and it drove straight. And then it turned on the road and it came right in front of my house and I went up to the window and I was looking and I saw a pickup truck without its lights on flying by my house. And it was at that point that we knew that that SUV that had been reported probably had nothing to do with the homicide.
2: But it's not until 2006 that we finally get the break in the case.
3: Luke Morris was incarcerated up in cortez colorado he made mention to a cellmate that he had been present at this particular homicide that cellmate reported that to the authorities that made it back to the cold case unit and i was able to interrogate luke based upon what he had said and he confessed to being there and also described exactly how that shooting occurred And that shooting occurred, according to Luke, in a cone fashion in front of Kevin's dots, which was a fact, ma'am, that had never been revealed in that case. Now we had to work on the other participants. There was
2: Jeff Moore and there was Luke
7: Morris. And a possible witness was Jocelyn Snyder. Full circle back to Jocelyn. That did eventually lead to Her giving a statement that the killer in this case was a boyfriend at the time of hers by the name of Brandon Craig.
2: Brandon had some charges, drug charges, a rape case that that was dismissed, some theft.
3: We know that Brandon struggled and didn't complete his Navy commitment when he had joined the Navy. Yet everyone in his circle believed him to be a well-trained Navy SEAL. So Brandon spent a lot of time uh, and effort trying to promote himself as a killer.
5: We think the motive is that he was angry. A power play. You respect me. You
2: don't disrespect me. And if you disrespect me, this is what happens to you.
7: Why, after that many years, did Jocelyn, Jeff, and Luke then become willing to cooperate and to state what had happened.
4: After seven years, three witnesses have finally come forward with the name of a prime suspect and what has become known as the East Mountain Triple Homicide. But the reason they give as to why he committed these horrific murders is just as unexpected. Jocelyn Snyder apparently
2: dabbled in dealing drugs.
7: Jocelyn and Kevin knew each other, and Kevin had purchased drugs from Jocelyn previously.
1: I believe that the boys in Kevin's car did not go directly up to the mountain. I think as they investigated, they knew they had gone to someone's house and picked up some drugs and then they got to the party and i don't think kevin had any idea of what might
2: transpire jocelyn had been stiffed she says and the person she said had stiffed her was kevin shirley and her boyfriend brandon craig was sort of the muscle i guess behind
7: that brandon craig wanted to essentially enforce that drug debt uh, because Jocelyn wasn't doing it.
3: So Brandon's idea, in my opinion, was that he was going to send a statement that he was the drug pin, and that if he sold to you, you were going to pay him.
2: He was going to make it so heinous and so big that people would be terrorized by him that they would never think to cross them again. So Jocelyn Snyder and her boyfriend, Brandon Craig, they learn that Kevin and his friends are going to be at this party in Sandia Knowles. So according to testimony, they show up at this party. There was Jeff Moore, Brandon, Jocelyn, and there was Luke Morris. Jocelyn apparently confronted Kevin. Kevin brushed her off. Brandon wasn't gonna have that.
7: There were at least a few witnesses at the party that did indicate that there had been a confrontation about money owed between Jocelyn and Kevin. Interestingly enough though, there were a lot of people at the party that did not know of any confrontation, did not indicate that they had seen anybody that they didn't know arrive at the party. And so there ended up being a lot of people at that party who were unable to corroborate that Jocelyn Snyder, Brandon Craig had showed up and gotten into an argument with Kevin Shirley.
5: There was some disagreement at the party. They left with Brandon Craig in a vehicle. And shortly thereafter, the victims left in an orange Dotson, and Brandon Craig got out of the car confronted them with words, returned to the car, got a weapon, a long gun, and proceeded to the car, stood in front of the car, and just sprayed, I believe, up to 24 rounds of um, bullets into the vehicle, killing all three, and they drove off. Matt was shot more than
1: 30 times. He got the real brunt of it. Kevin was, I think, 12 shots and then Louise was shot seven times.
3: Jocelyn, Jeffrey, and Luke began to report that they left out of there in a pickup truck without its lights on and drove exactly the direction and path that our eyewitness had said. In terms of the murder
7: weapon, uh, Jocelyn Snyder had indicated that it had been cut up and disposed in the days after the homicide in different areas of the city. This information was also corroborated by Luke and Jeffrey.
3: We went to those places, never found those pieces. But why, after that many years, did
7: Jocelyn, Jeff, and Luke then become willing to cooperate and
3: to state what had happened? They were scared to death. Here you got what they think to be a Navy SEAL, who you've just witnessed very proficiently Summary execute three young men for a drug date.
5: It appears that what made them come forward is when they were in trouble and realized it might benefit me to tell people what I know about the East Mountain triple homicide.
3: I was downtown when he was brought in on the arrest. What I remember about Brandon is, is that he was quiet, collective, non-emotional and uncooperative.
1: After seven years, that's a long time. It was very surprising um, and very emotional that that this was actually coming to at least the first part of the end. It might have
5: been a cold case forever. Brennan Craig was ultimately charged with depraved mind homicide, first-degree homicide, and felony murder, and then three counts of child abuse because the all the people involved were under the age of 18.
7: There ended up being a lot of issues that we were looking at. Really the biggest issues were there was never any physical evidence uh, in this case that uh, tied back to Brandon Craig. The casings from the bullets that were collected at the scene were in evidence, but none of that had any comparison that could be made back to Brandon Craig. The gun was never recovered. There was never any eyewitnesses to the shooting other than Jocelyn, Jeffrey, and Luke. And it had been six, seven years that they had told people they didn't know anything about it, had lied about things uh, until they did decide to finally come forward with the truth.
1: We were told it was about a 50-50 case, but we didn't have a chance to change that or not go to trial because Brandon would not accept a plea deal.
5: So without a plea deal, you have to go to court. But three young men lost their lives and we feel the evidence supports us moving forward on this case against Brandon Craig and and we're going to do that.
10: They started scaring the out of me and telling me I was going to prison for accessory and at the same time I didn't want to tell him my cousin he's my blood. You don't rat on family.
4: The trial of Brandon Craig for the triple murder of Kevin Shirley, Matthew Hunt and Luis Garcia is about to begin. The prosecution knows that a guilty verdict is far from guaranteed. Almost their entire case rests on the shoulders of witnesses who are no angels themselves.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, we're uh, set for a jury trial in this matter. State of New Mexico versus Brandon Ryan Craig. Are the parties ready to proceed? The state is, Your Honor. defense is ready, Your Honor. On May
9: 29, 1999, Brandon Craig brutally murdered three teenage boys, Luis Garcia, Matthew Hunt, and Kevin Shirley. He took an assault rifle, riddled their bodies with bullets, and fled. He left the scene leaving no DNA, no fingerprints, nothing to tie him to the scene. But he took with him something more important, three eyewitnesses.
5: When you're a trial attorney, I don't care if you're a defense or prosecution. If you've got a weakness in a case, you want to be the first one to get it out because it's, it's less harmful. And that's what Jonathan did.
9: The three people who the defendant had with him that night were three people he was close to at the time. Jeffrey Moore, one of his best friends, Jocelyn Schneider, his live-in girlfriend, and Luke Morris, his own cousin.
7: The only eyewitnesses that are gonna be able to say it was Brandon Craig are his girlfriend, his cousin, and a friend. And for years and years, they denied that it was him. They said it was, they had no idea who it was.
9: In October of 2006, Luke Morris gets into trouble again. He's up in Colorado. And Luke decides that he's had enough of living this kind of life and that he's had enough of covering for what happened and he admits he admits to sheriff's deputies that he was there that brandon craig did it and that jocelyn and jeff were there also
7: eventually they came forward and here's why we can believe them now is that all three of them are saying essentially the same thing, that they no longer have a motive to lie. In fact, maybe now they have actually a motive to tell the truth.
9: You'll see that they're far from perfect witnesses. They're recovering drug addicts. They've been charged with and convicted of felony crimes. They all lied for years about what they knew, but the state didn't get to choose those witnesses. The defendant did, and after they testify, You're going to see the truth. They saw the defendant commit the cold-blooded murders of Kevin Shirley, Luis Garcia, and Matthew Hunt. And after you hear all the evidence, we believe that you will find the defendant guilty of their murders.
7: The defendant, Brandon Craig, had hired uh, defense attorneys Pamela Mackey and David Kaplan. Pamela Mackey had previously represented Kobe Bryant on a sexual assault allegation, which was ultimately dismissed against Kobe Bryant.
6: The evidence in this case will show that three people, Jocelyn Schneider, Luke Morris, and Jeff Moore, have concocted stories not worthy of your belief in order to accuse an innocent man in exchange for saving their own hides.
7: The defense team essentially laid out that the credibility of Jocelyn, Luke, and Jeffrey was at issue and that they could not be sufficiently believed to convict.
6: The evidence in this case will show that law enforcement officers eager to solve a horrible crime looked the other way when the
5: evidence they found put the lie to the stories of those three people. She thought she owned the courtroom. I mean, a lot of attorneys have a big ego. That's their style. As a prosecutor, it's all about doing the best job you can and fighting for justice. The jury gets to decide what that is. Brandon Craig did not shoot
6: those boys. The House of Fabrication, built by these three people, is about to come tumbling down as you, the jury, listen to the evidence in this case. And that is why, at the end of this case, we will ask you to return a verdict of not guilty. Not guilty on all the charges.
8: Right, uh, Mr. Morris, if you please come forward.
7: I would say Luke Morris ended up being our most compelling witness in terms of testimony against Brandon Craig. Was there any discussion of going up to the mountains east of Albuquerque in order to do anything?
10: Yes. Um, Jocelyn had got burnt or ripped off on a drug deal, and they owed her money. And she said they knew she knew where they were going to be at a party up there. Who all went inside? Me, Brandon, Jocelyn, and Jeff.
7: What? Did any of the four of you then do?
10: Mm, we approached them, and Jocelyn was screaming about her money or whatever, and Brandon said he wanted to get the money or whatever, and they told him, get
7: And this is the person that your understanding of who owed the money said that?
10: To my understanding, yes.
7: What happened in response
10: to that statement? We left. We pulled off onto a side road. And we were loaded a bowl of weed and smoking some weed. Any other drugs besides marijuana? Cocaine. And then what happened? Um, a car came, went by and Jocelyn said that that was them. What then did the four of you do? We chased the car down and tried pulling it over by flashing our lights. Who's driving? Brandon is. And that didn't work, so we, Pat, we were going around them and we cut
7: them off. And what did the car do? stopped. He definitely seemed, in my opinion, to be the most believable of all of the witnesses in terms of the detail that he was able to provide and the credibility that seemed to flow from his testimony. As the two vehicles then stopped,
10: what happened? Um, Brandon got out of, this, of his side, driver's side and walked around and was saying, what's up, what's up now? And I couldn't really hear what they said. And then he went to get back into the truck and he pulled the gun out from under the front seat. And then he walked back around to the back of the truck right here and started shooting. Then what happened? Then Brandon came back to the truck, threw the gun to Jeff in the back seat, and we started hauling ass with our headlights out.
5: We knew the weaknesses in the case. No one came forward for six, seven years. Um, When they did come forward, it benefited them in some way. I mean, we're talking about Luke was looking at an, an extensive or a very lengthy prison sentence. He ended up making a statement in this case and got probation. I mean, that's huge motivation.
11: Starting in about October of 2006, you start telling them a lot of different stories, even though you start telling them about
10: having information. Yeah, they started scaring out of me and telling me I was going to prison for accessory, and at the same time, I didn't want to tell him my cousin, he's my blood. You don't rat on family.
11: You were charged possession, distribution of methamphetamine. You cop a plea, right? Yeah.
10: And you get four years of probation. With a six-month rehab. Completion of a six-month in-house rehab. It's a pretty sweet deal, don't you think?
9: Yeah. After... You broke up with Brandon? Yes. Did you go to police then? No. Why didn't you go to
10: police then?
4: The prosecution feels they have gotten off to a strong start with credible testimony from witness Luke Morris, and they feel confident about what witness Jeffrey Moore will tell the jury. But as they know, the wild card could be Jocelyn Snyder.
7: All right, as you indicated, uh, you saw Brandon uh, open the driver's side door and get out. Did you see him do anything as he was shooting? Walked in like a half moon shape, a crescent shape. In respect to the other vehicles? Yes, sir. Passenger, driver's side, driver, passenger side, back and forth like that. Of what vehicle? Of the orange car.
3: Given their youthfulness, given their fear, given their pervasive use of drugs at that age, I thought Luke and Jeff presented well in testimony. I think the Achilles heel for the prosecution in that particular case was Jocelyn. Are you still together with Brandon? No.
9: Do you know when you stopped being together with Brandon?
8: I believe I left in 2002. It's actually the first time he had left me by myself. And I called my mom and I had her come pick me up and I left.
9: After you broke up with Brandon? Yes. Did you go to police then? No. Why didn't you go to police then?
5: I was scared of Brandon. She was meeker. She was more easily intimidated. She was more easily confused.
8: Right, the cross-examination. Miss Mackey.
5: Thank you, Your Honor.
2: It was hard to sit there um, and listen to the defense
6: just shred the case. You say, I can't go to jail, I can't go to jail. I don't know. You offer to work off the charges. And you mean by that becoming an informant? No. No. But you tell them, I don't know who killed those kids. I wish I did. I would tell you guys so fast. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is that what you tell Miss Schneider? Yes.
7: In this case, there's no choice but to put on the three eyewitnesses. We had only put on Luke Morris because he was the most compelling. The jury would have had a, a huge issue and a question of, well, what about these other people?
6: In November of 2006, you receive a text message from Lacey Morris, correct? Yes. Now, Lacey Morris is Luke Morris's little sister? Yes. Now, at the time, you did not know that your cell phone was being tapped by law enforcement, correct? No.
5: You've learned that since. Yes. There had been some text messages between um, Joshlyn Snyder and, and Luke, apparently w- where it looked like they were trying to get together on their stories and be consistent, and that became a bone of contention in the trial.
2: Like, by that time, I knew that Luke had came forward. Um, I just wanted to make sure that our, you know, whatever little pieces I didn't know, like the gun and how it was cut up, that i would that
8: i knew so that my story was okay
2: jocelyn was obviously very nervous on the witness stand it was very rough and the defense took advantage of that
6: Ms. schneider let's now talk about the truck
7: there were issues that came up in terms of the vehicle that jocelyn schneider indicated that her and brandon craig and Luke and Jeffrey were in on the night of the shooting, that she didn't actually own that vehicle back on the day of the homicide.
6: That's a bill of sale from the original owner, Mr. Cox, to your father, James Schneider, for the truck that you'd been claiming for two and a half years was involved in the May 99 homicide, correct? Can you see that? Yes. And the date of sale is on there. And if memory serves, it's August 5, 1999, correct? Yes. That's the day your father bought the truck that you'd been claiming was involved in the homicides, right? Yes. And so after Investigator Stevelton sees these documents that puts the lie to the story that you've been telling for two and a half years, he calls you up and says, what's up with this, right? Yes. So then you weave this new story about a stolen truck obtained through your cocaine dealer, Esteban. Correct? Yes, that's the true story. And what you want these members of this jury, because you lied about this story to another jury, right? Yes. You want these to believe that back in May of 1999, you go to a trailer park, and through Esteban, you meet a man named Julio? Yes. And after you flirt with Julio, He just gives you a truck. I needed a truck. You know the truck's stolen. Yes.
7: We knew that it was gonna be an uphill battle and the jury was gonna have a really hard time deciding what was the truth in this case.
8: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm informed that uh, the jury uh, may have uh, a verdict or or verdicts uh, in this matter.
4: In the trial against Brandon Craig, the prosecution has only one more chance to convince the jury that he is guilty of murdering three teenage boys in cold blood. The defense makes their final case that the evidence is nowhere near conclusive. It is time for closing arguments. May 29th,
7: 1999, 1130 at night a time when most of us were probably home, asleep, safe. At that moment, along that road in the Sandia Knolls, defendant Brandon Craig decided to end the lives for three young teenagers. The main witnesses that you heard from, Luke Morris, Jeffrey Moore, and Jocelyn Snyder, although they were not commendable in their actions and in their inactions, starting May 29th, 1999, for several years, they are at least to be commended for finally coming forward when they did. The state has proven this case beyond a reasonable doubt. All that's left now is for justice to be served. The defendant must be convicted of all counts against him.
11: In this country, in our system of justice,
7: if the government accuses
11: somebody of criminal behavior, they must bring enough evidence to prove to a jury, a jury full of citizens of this state, the guilt of the defendant beyond a reasonable doubt. And the prosecution in this case has woefully come short of that burden. They are relying on their case on the testimony of Jocelyn Schneider, Luke Morris, and Jeffrey Moore, three individuals whose credibility whose veracity, whose honesty, is subject to huge questions. If you hesitate about the quality of the evidence and the veracity of the witnesses, then the system says to you, it tells you, it directs you to come
8: back not guilty. Council will be in recess until uh we have a verdict or a question.
2: I remember thinking that the defense had put on a really good case in the sense that they introduced a lot of reasonable doubt. But I also felt the prosecution had just put their heart and soul into this case. But I worried that that just wasn't going to be enough. I did believe that,
1: that Brandon Craig had done this because the detectives had really showed us what they had, what the information was, and that the witnesses at
5: all pinned
1: this on him.
5: The jury deliberated for two days. It was a two-week trial. So it, was, uh, it wasn't something that they went in and came out half an hour later.
8: All right, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm informed that uh, the jury uh, uh, may have uh, a verdict or, or verdicts uh, in this matter. All rise for the jury.
1: There were three, three or four ladies on this jury that had, were te- had tears in their eyes when they came in to the uh, the box to deliver the
8: verdict. The uh, forms of, of verdict uh, reads as follows: We find the defendant not guilty of first degree murder by a deliberate killing as charged uh, in count one.
1: The verdict was not guilty on everything, which.
8: Florida's. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Craig is, is uh, ordered uh, released at this time.
3: The jury forewoman woman talked about the verdict but didn't want to be identified. She says it was tough to believe who was telling the truth.
6: We went through it over and over and over again. The state
1: didn't prove their case. When the media talked to the, the jury woman, she said, well, we were... We felt like he probably had something to do with this, but there was, there was doubt, and so we couldn't come up with a guilty verdict. And I'm thinking, well, if you didn't really believe that he didn't do it, and you didn't believe that he did do it, why did you not hold to your guns and, and hung the jury?
3: went on to take all of this pain and translate it into, I think, some brilliant work in supporting survivors of homicide.
1: One of the healing characteristics of grief is bringing meaning to the death, because otherwise it's just three kids that were killed in the mountains. I worked with hundreds of victims and and worked in the victim community and knew lots of people. And it was because of Kevin that I did this
2: work and and the fact that I could help. I don't think that anyone that is intimately involved in the case thinks there's someone else out there, there's still a shooter out there that we just haven't found. I think most of us believe they found the right person. Just couldn't prove it. And that chapter just didn't get to be written in the way that I think the families deserved. I pray
1: that Brandon found out how close he got to losing his entire life. And that he realized that by not being convicted of this, that he got his life back. And I hope that he's made a good use of it. And I I hope that the witnesses as well, a lot of their lives were stolen as well. All of our lives were stolen.
4: It's now been more than a decade since Brandon Craig was found not guilty of the East Mountain triple homicide. And by all accounts, he's kept a low profile and has stayed out of trouble. That's little comfort, though, to victim Kevin Shirley's mother, Joan. She says she has forgiven Brandon Craig, but still believes he is responsible. And what's been taken away, she will never forget. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew.
0: There you have it, another deep dive into a truly fascinating case. You can find more episodes of this Court TV original series on our website, where they are available to stream for free. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with the biggest current true crime stories, be sure to tune into my show, Closing Arguments with Vinny Politan, weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids.